0: Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals
1: and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about all while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Her Health Collective hosts four roundtables each year. In an effort to bring together our experts and dive deep into the topics that matter to moms the most, we have actually found that these roundtables are often our most well-liked episodes. Today, we are delighted to dive into a discussion on managing the expectations of motherhood, and we all know there's a lot of those. This topic is something that comes up again and again in conversations we have with our community of moms, whether it's the expectations we feel from external sources or our own internal feelings of pressure to feel or act or be a certain way. Parents feel it from all sides. Mothers in particular often mention things like feeling judged by others, and that could be other mothers, their doctors, their own parents, things like that, or even comparing themselves to others. We hear that more and more, especially in this world of social media. And we talk a lot about the feelings of inadequacy that often emerge because of those types of expectations. Today we are honored to be joined by several of our 2021 HER expert panelists. We are going to take just a few moments to let each of our experts introduce themselves and briefly share their area of expertise so that our listeners can hear each of our experts' voice and in theory have a better idea of who it is that's speaking during this upcoming conversation. So, I'm just going to kind of call out someone, say hello, introduce yourself,
2: and we'll start with Carrie. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Carrie, and I'm a registered dietitian. Thank you, Anna. Hi, my
3: name is Anna Lutz. I'm also a registered dietitian. I'm the co owner of Lutz and Alexander Nutrition in Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill.
4: Glad to be here. Thank you. We're glad to have you, Anna. Emily? My name is Emily Chaffee, and I own Carolina Birth and Wellness. I'm a fertility and birth doula. Thank you, Emily. And if we could have Nicole hop on.
5: Hi, my name is Nicole Wallace, and I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor in the North Raleigh area. I'm also a mom of five.
1: Every time she says that, I'm just like, wow.
6: (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. And Dr. Joni? Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Joni Johnson. I am a pediatrician. I have specialized primarily in ADHD and autism. I'm also a health and wellness coach. I call myself an empowerment strategist, and I work with business leaders and really anybody who's touched by ADHD. And I'm also a mom of three.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Joni. Last but not least, Dr. Durney.
7: Hi, I'm Holly Derny. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, specializing in outpatient orthopedics um, and women's health, doing prenatal, perinatal, and postpartum recovery.
0: We're so glad to have everybody here, and we're just going to go right into our questions and our interactions for the day. We don't have any of the questions specifically directed towards any of the experts, but if you want have something that you'd like to say, we would love for you to just come off mute and add your feelings on the topic. There is no doubt that expectations plague motherhood. Everyone has their own beliefs of what makes the quote-unquote best mother because it's subjective and it's personal. We live in an opinionated culture that isn't shy about sharing what they feel is ideal. When you add a scared, Confused and inexperienced mother to this equation, she is thirsty and starving for anything that will guide her. This is when misconceptions develop, as well as when unrealistic and unachievable principles are adopted. Our goal through this discussion is to help moms recognize and manage the expectations, help them to establish in advance what is realistic so disappointment is minimized. As we go ahead and we open up this discussion, let's start by sharing what some of the common expectations of motherhood look like in our present culture. And we would also love for you to add in a little bit of your feedback on what the reality is.
3: I'll jump in. As a dietitian. what I see a lot is mothers or parents feeling like their children are supposed to eat a certain way and they're supposed to look a certain way that, you know, the misconception that parents are hundred percent in charge of that, of um, their children's weight, particularly as the messages I think parents get, and that, you know, their children are supposed to eat a variety of foods all the time. And, you know, the truth is that how we eat is greatly determined by, you know, our personalities. It's greatly determined by who we are. You can have you know, I have three children and they all are very different eaters and they all had the same mother. And as far as this misconception about parents being in control of what their children look like or what their weight is, again, it's very much determined by genetics. And so, you know, this pressure that is put on parents, these messages, kind of the reality is not conveyed. So that's what popped into my mind.
6: You know, as a pediatrician, one one thing I've always shared with my new parents is that, you know, when you've birthed your baby, a parent's manual doesn't come out with the placenta. And so, you know, there is no rule book or guidebook, but that being said, this is your child and nobody is going to know your child better than you do. And you really have to approach those people in your village as consultants, and that includes your pediatrician. So you, you address your consultants and ask them for their advice and for information, but that information should only be used for what we called making an informed decision. And that decision is yours as the parent and as the mother, because again, this is part of you, this child is yours, and nobody's going to know how to take care of this child better than you do, even though you may think that because you didn't get that instruction manual that you don't know what you're doing. The reality is, is that you do, and you can do this.
5: Just to join in on that part of the conversation, I really want to thank um, Her Collective for having this special today, because I think one of the things, the misconceptions that exist with motherhood is that nurturing is, even in 2021, is still primarily the mother's job. Even though we've had a lot of progression in way parenting looks and uh, roles, many times mothers still feel the pressure of feeling like they have to do it all, that their job is to nurture and to be the one to be the lead on parenting,
2: and that's not always the case. We we can't do it all all the time. I definitely agree with that. I think that women have kind of this purpose of having babies, and that's in quotes. And then that mindset leads us to kind of forget everything else. So we forget our self care, we forget our own needs because we're constantly prioritizing. The baby, and then if we're not seeking that external help from other people in our village, then that really can have such an impact on the mom's health and well-being.
7: And I would say for me as a physical therapist, I see women not seeking care for themselves in that same way. You know, they have to put their baby first and then they come see me like two or three years later when they finally have time to think about their back pain. And then also just the misconception of. You don't need to go have physical therapy because your muscles are just going to heal because all women are made for childbirth. And the fact is the body goes through a ton of changes and trauma, and it doesn't just rebound on its own. And so just having that like empowerment to have them seek care for themselves, even just for a couple of sessions in PT, I think is really important. Um, It's something, again, women are just expected to heal and not talk about it unless something went terribly wrong. But I mean, pregnancy is a big deal and it's just not treated that way. And I think that it should be. So I think that expectation of just, you know, you had a baby, so of course your body's like that. And you know, it shouldn't be that way.
4: I wanted to jump in too about, you know, there's this expectation that women should be mothers in general. And as a fertility doula, I'm working with, and I know Carrie too, you know, working with women who are struggling to become a mother. So then what does your identity become when you can't do the thing that everyone is telling you that you're supposed to do? And then we see it a ton with our birth clients and our postpartum clients. They don't have the birth that they should have. They use the medications because they gave in you know, during the postpartum period, something happens that they don't feel in control of. And I think, you know, that's where a doula can be really powerful because we're like all the other people in this area, we're able to be like, no, you are allowed to have needs. You are allowed as a mother to say like, this is what I need and find support for it.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. That whole little conversation there is something I wish I could have heard before I had my own child. I think that that is something we need to get into the ears of people that are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant because there's so much there that you're just not aware of and you just kind of go in blindly. And, and I think that that is very helpful to hear. And it's true that expectations of motherhood are not new. I think if we look throughout history, we would see that there's always been some sort of expectations that have sat on the shoulders of moms, but I think it's very likely that those expectations have shifted. So what are some ways that you perhaps see a shift, maybe even just between this generation of moms and one generation past, or even taking it to a more historical perspective? You know, one that immediately pops to mind very much is the the rapid shift from the forties and the wartime and then fifties and you know, the June cleavers of motherhood, and there's just such a huge shift in expectations there. So if you have anything that kind of stands out in your mind in that regard, we would love to kind of just dive into that. And what carryover do you see into present day?
2: For me, the one that sticks out the most is breastfeeding, because breastfeeding clearly has been around forever, yet the rates of breastfeeding have drastically changed throughout time. We had kind of the 70s was kind of the lowest point of breastfeeding with less than 25% of babies ever being breastfed. Whereas today that's over 80%. So clearly we've had kind of drastic changes and expectations around whether or not you should be breastfeeding your baby and how you should be feeding your baby to Anne's point. But I would say that kind of that expectation definitely has changed over time. I mean, late. 1800s women were hiring wet nurses cause it was looked down on to breastfeed your own baby. And then formula was invented. And then doctors in the fifties were saying, Oh, formula is better than breastfeeding. You definitely should be giving formula. And then today, of course, everyone's told exclusively breastfeed. So then what happens if you can't, what if you're one of the ones that unfortunately something's gone wrong or maybe your baby's being too bad and that's not even an option. So that definitely can lead to shame and embarrassment which is really unfortunate because everybody's baby is different and everybody's situation is different. Uh, this is
5: Nicole. I just want to jump in about as, as a mom of color, I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this to light that oftentimes we're not, uh, women of color not assumed to be able to stay home with our children by choice many times throughout generations. And there's just been how things have gone. We've been expected to be working moms and that has traditionally in many communities been the case. So even personally, when I found that I made the choice to stay home, oftentimes I would get questioned or stereotyped if I was out and about with my kids during the day. And I think that has been a a bit of a shift these days. There are many women of color who are able to stay home or making that choice to stay home financially or for their kids or academic reasons or whatever it is they choose to do. And it's just exciting to see that shift of us breaking some of those norms. So I'm very positive in that space.
6: I think an obvious shift is just one of being a stay-at-home mom. And then now for many people, they are choosing, I totally understand what Nicole is saying, but a lot of women are choosing to continue their careers and have motherhood. And so I think many women feel that we can do both, but I think that in feeling that we can do both, oftentimes self-care is lost in that equation because I think sometimes there's this superwoman persona that we as women take on, that we can be the best mom and the best executive in the C-suite. And the reality is that we can, if that's what you choose to do, but sometimes we lose ourselves in the process. And so I think with that shift to kind of being the superwoman and being able to do it all, we're losing that sense of, you know, just taking care of ourselves in the process.
3: I think that's such a good point that I feel like a lot has been added to our plates and but we're supposed to be you know all the things and so at this point in history that's what it feels like is we're supposed to make sure we're cooking for our children making sure they're in all the activities working you know everyone's doing all the things and you know such such an unrealistic expectation that is put on parents.
5: Yeah I think wasn't this pandemic such a clear indication of some of those expectations as some of us were At home with our children. And not only were you trying to keep up your job, but you were also now the teacher's assistant and (laughs) the entertainment director. And if you had to come out of soccer or or sports, you also had to take care of that when the evening shift was over. And it's a lot. And I, I see in my own practice as mental health therapist, many women, as children return to school, are very anxious and very depressed and have a lot of tension because they were trying to juggle all of those roles.
1: We, in our book club, just recently finished All Joy and No Fun, I believe is what it was called, and one of the interesting topics that was woven throughout the book was the change in parenting styles, and I think that is something that is very interesting that has also put more on mother's plates and put more expectations on mother's plates in particular. You know, moms of previous generations just... Had a slightly more hands-off approach, or that there was TV wasn't seen as such this you know horrible thing that we we are battling on a daily basis. Children played outside on their own independently more throughout the day and with the neighborhood kids running down the street and now everything is micromanaged now our children are carted from event to event, you know soccer and dance and swim class and, and all of these things and there's just this expectation to be kind of moving everywhere to give your kid everything you possibly can. And it was a really interesting look at sort of the reasons for that. But that's something that has always kind of stuck out to me because I don't remember my mom carting me around to quite so many extracurriculars.
0: (laughs) A term that we have really started to use is called the goddess myth. And that was coined from an article in Time Magazine by Claire Holworth. And I'm going to read an expert (laughs) excerpt a piece of this article right now (laughs) and call it the goddess myth spun with a little help from basically everyone, doctors, activists, other moms. It tells us that breast is best, that if there is a choice between a vaginal birth and major surgery, you should want to push that your body is a temple and what you put in it should be holy. That sending your baby to the hospital nursery for a few hours after giving birth is a dereliction of duty oh and that you will feel and look radiant the myth impacts all moms because they partly reflect our ideals hospital and public health policy are wrapped up with it but even the best intentions can cause harm the consequences vary in degree From pervasive feelings of guilt to the rare and unbearable tragedy of a mother so intent on breastfeeding that she accidentally starves her infant to death. How have you seen this goddess myth play out in your particular practice? And do you see it as pervasive of a problem as this article makes it out to be?
4: Absolutely. I see this. With our birth clients, you know, they are pretty, you know, a lot come in and be like, I will do anything but a cesarean. And it's, you know, because I'm supposed to not have a cesarean, I'm supposed to have a vaginal birth. The cesarean is the bad aspect of birth or whatever. And, you know, our goal of birth tools is really to help educate people and empower them to figure out what is best for them. You know, maybe it is best to do one aspect of a birth scenario where, prevents something else from happening. But I think that this is something that we constantly are facing. And it's really, you know, it's one of our goals as birth dualists is to really work through it, but it's, you know, happening all the time still.
6: I'm going to jump in right behind Emily, because, you know, as a pediatrician whose job is to be at complicated births, we don't have to be there. We see the baby after the baby comes out unless the obstetricians feel as though there, there could be a problem. And, and I, I hate to say this and I almost don't want to say it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that for a pediatrician, a birthing plan was our worst nightmare because <laughs> whenever you know the, the OB came to us and said, hey, we got a, a delivery we want you to attend and here's the birth plan, it almost always meant there's going to be a problem and how am I gonna get around this problem? Because we felt like our hands were tied. You know, what do we do if something doesn't turn out exactly how the mom expected it to turn out? And if we can't follow this plan, you know, if we need to give vitamin K, we can't give vitamin K. Or if we need to take the baby because the baby is blue, we need to resuscitate. But mom says in her plan, the baby has to come to chest right away. What do we do? I think that, you know, I I love that Emily as a doula is all about education because we can't predict in the care of a child, not just not just at birth, but just through those first 18 plus years, we don't know what each day is going to provide or what challenges are going to be presented. And so to have some flexibility to lead towards resiliency is really the way to go. And I think sometimes through this goddess myth, we make moms feel as though we can somehow control every moment. And the reality is, is that we can't. We've got to trust those in our village oftentimes, and you know, trust that they know what they're gonna do and that they're gonna have the best interests of the mom and the baby um, in the future taken to heart. And so. It it bothers me, the goddess myth, because it does set up unrealistic expectations and it doesn't necessarily allow for us to just be flexible and to, to deal with whatever pops up. It doesn't give this impression that we as a mom are resilient and can handle it so long as we are supported by those in our village who are there to support us and to help us get through.
5: I think what Dr. Joni just said is so profound as somebody who's had four births and none of them went the way I went <laughs> One was even a natural birth and I didn't even ask for that. <laughs> but it just as another comic relief, uh, I, my first child was 10 years apart from my third child. And so I had my first baby at Rex great experience and they take the baby to the nursery and all this good stuff in between while you're there for a few days and the third child i went to wake med and i thought i knew it all you know i've been through it all and everything and uh 10 years later it's very different uh they informed me when after the birth that the baby would not be going to the nursery so this article just really spoke to me that little segment because i was in shock when they told me that I would not get a break, that the baby would be housed in the room with me the entire (laughs) stay. I think they thought, you know, most new moms would have been so excited about that. I was horrified (laughs) upon arriving at home. I told my husband, Take the baby to the other room. And he said, What? Why, why do you want the baby in the other room? We just got home. I said, Take the baby to the other room because I just needed a moment alone. You know, I'd had nine months of carrying somebody and then three days in the hospital, co sleeping next to somebody who wasn't very happy all, the, all day for three days. And I just wanted a moment alone. And I think oftentimes we don't take those feelings into consideration. And that's something we have to verbalize with our support team around us. And really be able to have those feelings and share those feelings. And I I think as women, I I work with my moms to really express those feelings.
7: That It's okay to have a negative emotion. For me in physical therapy, there's occasionally a little bit of shame that accompanies any sort of dysfunction because of the goddess myth, like, oh, but my body was meant to deliver a child. Why is my stomach still pooching a little bit? Or why am I, you know, having incontinence? Or, you know, so there's A little bit of shame associated with it that they are supposed to, or my moms are supposed to rebound and and they're okay that they're at physical therapy, but they, they're not sure that they really are supposed to be there because all their friends didn't have to go. And so I'd probably say that's where it affects um, my profession a little bit more is that they you know, if you're, if you're having some issues in terms of just your body and then that maybe there's something, you know, that you weren't meant to birth as well as your friends or, or other moms. But the truth is they're probably just not telling you about it, but they had the same issues too. That's really what I found. Um, So I've just been encouraging women to talk to each other about it because I think the more that they share that it'll help bust this myth a little bit, you know, that problems are actually more normal than you think so.
4: There was a great picture that Amy Schumer shared on her Facebook. I think it was Amy Schumer, right? That of like her in that uh, postpartum diaper and like holding the baby and like, you know, just looking like every one of us actually looks after birth and not what these Instagram influencers, with or like Kate Middleton walks out right with her hair done and her heels and like, you know, just showing what is real, like what is the real life motherhood? What is real life? Giving birth? What is real life getting pregnant? What is, you know, what is this all real life? And this goddess miss is kind of like we're trying to go for Kate Middleton status, but no one has a personal, you know, stylist crew following us around. And just talking about it, like Holly said, like just talking about, yes, I saw a pelvic floor therapist. Yes, I had a cesarean. Like, yes, I'm facing IVF. You know, all these things are real life things that people are dealing with. And it's not. You know, we don't have to be goddesses because we're not, I mean, we are, but we don't have to go along with this goddess myth.
5: Oh, Emily, that's so profound. That last part that the goddess can be a bit broken sometimes like, all right, it's okay for her to go lay down.
1: (laughs) That was wonderful. I loved that very much continuing on with that. And really a lot of what Dr. Durney and Emily started touching on at the end there So there was a survey that was commissioned by Time Magazine, and it found that half of all new mothers had experienced regret, shame, guilt, or anger. Those terms come up frequently in motherhood. And it was mostly due to unexpected complications and lack of support. More than 70% felt pressured to do things a certain way, more than half said a natural birth was extremely or very important, yet 43% wound up needing drugs or an epidural and 22% had unplanned C-sections. Breastfeeding too proved a greater challenge than anticipated. I know this was a big source of anxiety for myself. Out of the 20% who planned to breastfeed for at least a year, fewer than half actually did. The majority of mothers in the survey, as well as those they talked to in dozens of additional interviews, pointed to society in general as the source of the pressure, followed by doctors and other mothers. So we would love to know what role do you see society in general playing in this goddess myth, and how does that? manifests itself? Why, why does it appear? And then how about from doctors and other mothers?
3: What comes to my mind with this question and the question before is as a dietitian who specializes in in eating disorders, we talk a lot about diet culture and, and the rules that are very external that we all hear all the time about what you're the way to eat and the way to look. And, you know, healing from that is, turning inward and listening, you know, to internal cues rather than external cues. And I feel like what we're talking about, the goddess myth is that, but for everything, (laughs) right? It's these external, very, very rigid, right or wrong, black or white rules that take mothers or all of us away from listening to our intuition, listening to what's right for ourselves, listening to what's right for our children. And so- you know, that may not answer this question, but that's kind of what comes to my mind is this, these just very, this, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. And it's, it, it seems like it's with everything with being a mother, that there's a, this perception from our society that there's a wrong way or, or a right way. When we all know the truth is everyone's different. Every situation's different. And instead, if we can empower mothers to turn inward, tune inward to themselves and their children, they could, you know, we could all figure out what's best.
6: Yeah. I'll chime in from the doctor perspective. I think that the issue with medicine and and why, based on this this quote, why mothers feel that some of the source of pressure may be doctors is because of how doctors are seen and how we necessarily don't do our jobs, which is is a factor of societal pressure as well. So doctors, I think, are seen as having the answers. You know, when you go to your doctor, you go you have a problem and you expect them to tell you how to fix it. And so the practice of medicine is very directive and it shouldn't be. And I think as physicians, we're educators. And I said in the beginning, our role is to be a consultant, but it's our job to let our patients know what role we're playing. We're not God. We're not there to fix it. We're not there to tell you every little thing that you need to do, but yet that's how we're seen, and I think that's partly, if not mostly, the fault of the doctor. I have to say to my patients, I'm here as your consultant. I will answer your questions based on the data and the research. I can even give you an opinion if you want my opinion, but it's my job to give you the facts and to educate you, not to necessarily tell you how, what to do, and I can give you, based on the data, You know, if you choose this course of action, this is what may result. If you choose that course of action, this may result and these are your options. But far too often because, you know, your doctor's office, you got 15 minutes. That's all insurance gives us. And so we don't have the time to have those conversations. And so we as physicians have got to make ourselves much more accessible so that we can provide that education and the time that parents need to be educated. Instead, we rely on you know, the internet and social media, you know, a lot of parents go to WebMD and go online and they Google everything. And I'll tell you, most of what you Google is going to be wrong because you're Googling people's opinions based on their experiences, which may be completely different from your experience. So I, I understand how doctors can be seen as applying pressure. Doctors can be very judgmental and we should not be, you know, you come in and your child is underweight and because you changed formulas four times and we're like, why did you change the formula four times? Well, because, you know, they're seeing on social media or talk to their friends that Similac is better than Infamil, it's better than Carnation. And so it's our job to, to help educate and we don't necessarily do the best job of that.
4: I think you touched on a really interesting point about like the 15 minutes and we talked about this in an earlier question, right? If you have 15 minutes, you're going to talk about your child first. You're not going to mention you know, oh yeah, by the way, I am having pelvic floor dysfunction or my eating is irregular because that, I mean, that's what we do. We take care of our kids first and it's just, I mean, that's not really going to change unless you have some really life-threatening thing and leaking a little urine may, isn't, you know, a pressing issue, but it's not a normal issue. And it doesn't mean that it has to be something we live with because insurance dictates it all. We talk about our kid first and further portray, you know, further like exacerbating that goddess myth because we're not allowed to ask for help because we can't, we just don't have the ability
6: to do it. If I can jump back in, cause I just have to, I have to. The other thing that happens in that 15 minutes and I just have to say this cause I want parents to hear it is parents will go to the internet before they go to the doctor and they will, you know, research what is going on with their child. And then they only offer up that information that the internet said, was important to lead to a diagnosis. And because we only have that 15 minutes, we don't always ask the additional questions because the parent came in saying, my child has this, 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 and in our minds, well, yeah, that adds up to this, I'm gonna treat that. And and we won't necessarily take the time to ask the questions. So I I just, I wanted to put that out because I wanna caution parents from kind of pre-diagnosing you know, and and coming in with kind of in the back of their mind what they think is going on and only offering that information. Because like Emily said, there could be really important information out there, even about the parent that we need to know that will help us to really give the best guidance that we can give.
2: I definitely agree with Dr. Google is not anybody's friend, thinks it knows it all, but it definitely does not. And I definitely love the point about One of the things that I think needs to change in society is insurance and what we're covering and how much time we're kind of giving to education and the worth of education, because it's so important. And to touch back on social media, which I know was mentioned earlier, I think it's so easy when you're kind of scrolling in your feed and you see all these pictures, but it's important for people to kind of reflect back and know this is just one picture. Like, okay, yeah, they got their baby in the pumpkin, but we know that's the one picture they got the baby in the pumpkin for it was bawling and crying. <laughs> it's it's the glamorized version of what their day looks like. It's not taking into account everything else that they've got going on in their life that isn't picture perfect. So just kind of remembering that because it's natural for us to compare, but kind of having that reflection too. Thank you
1: to the sponsor of this episode and our fall initiative sponsor and just one of our beloved Her Circle Studio partners, Total Row Raleigh.
0: This is a rowing class worth getting excited about. Total Row classes are rowing centric, making them low impact, total body, and effective. With small classes and certified coaches, their program offers a local community vibe with professional quality. Every class is scalable to any age or ability, making total role classes available to anyone.
1: You know, we've gone to a couple of their classes now, and I just love it. It's so much fun. I love that they have no mirrors anywhere in the studio. There's no focus on body image. Instead, everything revolves around good form, gaining strength, listening to your body, feeling powerful, and most importantly, having fun, which is something I do every time I've gone to one of their classes.
0: Yes, I love how they use empowering lingo during class that makes you appreciate the body that you're in right now and what it's doing for you, rather than having you focus on an ideal that you're hoping your body will eventually look like.
1: Absolutely. Be sure to check out Total Row Raleigh and discover a better way to row.
0: Anna had actually mentioned something earlier about helping moms to turn inward, to listen more to themselves, to find out what works for them. And that's a really almost a definition of managing expectations, right? It's about helping the mom to establish in advance what's realistic so that when she doesn't do what everything at the demands that are being put on her, she doesn't get disappointed. So internalizing her own needs. And I'm going to take this now into mom shaming because mom shaming has become another source of pressure for moms most recently. And it's hard with mom shaming to then turn inward, to have a mom decide oh, well, what's best for me when there's this other person that's shaming me to think that what I'm doing is not right. Where do you think this need to shame other moms comes from? Is it real? Or do you think that it's the mom's inability to work through the emotion or to shut off what the other mom is essentially saying to
6: her?
5: I can speak to some of that, I think, because Many of the women I treat, they do come because they're feeling uh, anxious or worried thoughts or comparing themselves to what someone said or suggested or a family member said or suggested. And there are many generational differences, as we discussed before, about what we think childcare should look like. Especially when you have your first baby, it seems like a lot of people in your family may have input about what that might look like. And so in speaking to, is it real? I definitely think mom shaming is real as, as we see in com- commentary on social media. If someone posts a picture of themselves breastfeeding or doing something in the realm of some sort of childcare that uh, others may or may not disagree with, the, there's a, there's a quick line of comments that will come through about what people feel and then the other side of that, though, is the judgment that we have ourselves and how we internalize those comments. Some people are able to blow it off and, and move on with their day. And then there are others of us who really take it to heart. And then if it if it builds up and it's more than one comment or multiple family members or multiple incidences, it can really cause a lot of grief for moms and a lot of self-doubt. And that could lead to some other external factors, uh, increased postpartum depression or guilt and shame or communication concerns because you're afraid to talk to other people about what your concerns are because maybe you got this comment on your social media and now you don't want to even share how you're feeling with the people in your real community uh, because of whatever feelings erupted. So uh, I definitely think it's real. I definitely think one of the ways that we can combat it, though, is to really have spaces like this where people can talk about the struggles of motherhood, some of the negative emotions that come with motherhood, because oftentimes we are, uh, uh, you know, adapt to think that everything's supposed to be great. And we all know that that's not always the case. That's a really great point, Nicole, that motherhood is hard.
0: And people are scared to say that for fear of the mom shaming or the judgment. Have any of you witnessed or experienced mom shaming in action? And if you have, can you share your experience? And then what is something that someone can do if they are being mom shamed?
5: Well, personally, since we were talking about breastfeeding, it was something that I did cho- choose to do with several of my children. And I was in the mall one day and I had a cover up and had all the stuff, but I also had another toddler with me. So the, my toddler was running around and I was breastfeeding the baby at a nearby bench. And someone approached me, an, another woman, older woman, to tell me that there was a restroom located behind me that I was should be free to use to perform that act, which you know I felt definitely was... Mom shaming because one, why should I have to relocate myself to the restroom? I wasn't exposing myself. I wasn't doing anything that would naturally draw attention. I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself. So, and I think you know, I, when I looked at her, I don't think it was coming from a place of malintent. I think she was really trying to be helpful. But I think in many ways, if I hadn't been the person I was, it could have taken it very differently. And then also just the idea that maybe she wasn't as informed about what. The nature of breastfeeding was in that feeding your baby didn't have to be in a restroom, shouldn't have to be in a restroom location. So it's interesting uh, when you get these forums, which are public.
6: Yeah, I mean, Nicole, I had a similar experience when my child was older. I was going through a divorce at the time and I think my daughter was three and we were at the mall. And as part of her dealing with the divorce, she was experiencing regression she was stuttering in school and she was hitting and having tantrums. And so we were in therapy for it actually. And we were at the mall and she was acting up and she threw herself on the floor and had a tantrum. And so I went and sat on a bench to give her space to have her tantrum. And obviously we're in a mall. So about three or four people came up to her and where's your mom, your mom, you know, and, and they looked at me and well, how are you going to let her just fall all out? And, you know, and I'm trying to just, you know, just kind of leave her alone, please. But, you know, the issue is, is that when we're attempting to parent our way, It is hard, you know, and and that was a tough experience for me because, you know, I I didn't want to let my child have a, a fit in the middle of the, you know, the mall, but that's what my therapist had told me to do when she has a fit, let her have her fit and, you know, give her her space. And so I'm sitting there on the bench trying not to break down myself and then the other mothers are telling me that I'm a bad mom for letting my kid have a, you know, fall out in the the middle of the the mall. I mean, I think how do we combat that is to be, to try to be secure in what we're doing. And for me, I had a therapist. I mean, I had to talk about it. I had to, to be reassured that what I was doing was the right thing for my child in the moment. It may not have been the right thing for the other mother's child, but for my child in the moment, it was what I needed to do. And so I needed to talk about it. I need to be reassured and reaffirmed that that I had made the right choice. And if I had made the right choice, talking about it would have helped me to see that maybe I should have made a different choice. But I think just sharing how you felt out of that experience is what we need to do when we feel mom shamed. Those are wonderful
0: examples. And I'm curious if, we are the ones that inadvertently find ourselves being the one doing the shaming. I tend to be a curious person. So I ask a lot of questions and when I gave birth to our kids, our firstborn was a planned home birth. And of course, people don't really hear about home births very much. So people were asking me a lot of questions and oftentimes the questions can come across as almost shaming to someone if someone does find that they are inadvertently shaming someone, what do they do in, in that situation? Or how do they correct themselves?
5: I think if you're curious, you know, that's, that's a great thing. Because as we were talking about earlier, dialogue can really help a lot of moms open up who are or maybe learn about a new experience like home birth that maybe they hadn't thought through. I think it's when we start to phrase things in a way which are very... Finite, like you should be or shouldn't you be. So I think we have to be really thoughtful about when we're speaking to someone about their child or childcare or their birth plans or their, even their birth experience about how, how we come across your tone. It's all the good communication stuff, you know, your tone, your wording, And your timing, because if somebody's in the middle of a, if I'm sitting in the mall trying to breastfeed, you come tell me about where, where to go find the bathroom, (laughs) that might not be the best time. So yeah, thinking about all those good communication strategies.
7: I have to be careful when I am evaluating a postpartum three to six year mother, you know, when I'm saying, you know, these things were never corrected right after you delivered to not let that be like, so you should have come here. You know, so I have to dial myself back sometimes because they do automatically take it as, oh, I wish I had known. And, you know, I said, well, just it's not your fault. It's not your doctor's fault. But, you know, the best thing you can do is tell your friends. And next time you go to the doctor, be like, hey, you know what? I went to PT and I think it would really help me if I had another baby. But to try really hard not to let it because they do. Women tend to be like, oh, you're right. I did it wrong. And it's like, no, you didn't know, you know, and we can still fix it now. It's fine. I wish you hadn't had to deal with this for three years. But that's just me being your Comrade in arms, not, you know, not because you've done anything wrong. So um, I've, I've caught myself doing that sometimes. And of course inadvertently, but I have to be careful about how I ask that question of, you know, well, why didn't you seek care before to make sure I don't frame it that way, But there's a better way to say that in physical therapy.
6: I think the other thing is for us to just recognize that we all have our own opinions about things and that that's Okay. We have our own way of doing things and that's okay. And I I liked how how Holly said that sometimes we have to catch ourselves. But first off, we have to recognize that we have strong opinions and that's okay to have strong opinions, but there's a line between having a strong opinion and passing judgment on somebody else. And so, you know, I I like how Nicole talked about being curious. I'll just give an example. I was in doing a well-child visit Uh, for one child and mom came in with her newborn who was, I don't know, maybe not newborn, but breastfeeding baby, maybe six months old. And she had a two and a half year old who was also still on the breast. And so I'm examining another child and the two-year-old is running around the room and mom had just finished breastfeeding. And the two-year-old, I guess, wore himself out and went up to mom, lifted up her shirt. Pulled up a bra and, you know, got a snack. And, and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> fix your face, Dr. Doney. You know, like, okay. I mean, I was caught off guard. And I think when we're caught off guard, our initial personal feelings come in, you know, and and I had to do some self-talk. But instead of saying, that's not okay, because it's not, it's not my choice. I said, talk to me about that, you know. do you how do you feel about you know what I just witnessed or whatever I mean give me some insight I mean I was just curious but I I tried to address the issue without judgment without saying I don't agree with what I just saw because it's not for me to agree or disagree but I wanted to know what I saw so that I would know how to address issues like that going forward not issues but situations like that going forward so I recognized that I had some degree of curiosity, and so I I just was curious, and I tried to be curious without judgment. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I I wasn't offensive, which was the bottom line is to try to not be offensive in those situations. But we're oftentimes going to be caught off guard, so we just need to recognize that we do, it is normal for us to have our ways of doing things, and somebody may do something very different. We just can't be judgmental about it. We can be curious but we have to recognize that our and always the best way for everybody and to just ask those questions very kindly if you have them.
1: So I picked up on two themes in that conversation. One is that malls are a hotbed of mom shaming. And two, I loved, Nicole used the, the term malintent. And I think that was woven through a lot of people's comments that, And might be the Pollyanna in me, too. There's a little bit of that in me. But I I do like to think that a lot of people that are in the position of, quote, unquote, giving out some mom shaming, there's possibly not malintent there. I I prefer to think that it, it is coming from a place of curiosity or, again, feeling very strongly about something in line with what Dr. Joni was saying. And it's not necessarily meant to shame, and we don't necessarily think it through in how our words or our facial expressions might impact someone and we i think are seeing a shift towards being more aware but i i do like to think that in most situations there's not the malintent there and i liked that and also i'm glad i'm not going to mall these days so (laughs) Uh, comparison is another source of pressure that often follows moms. And it's not just new moms. I feel like we've been talking a lot about new moms and how they face these struggles. But as children age, mothers begin to find other sources of pressure. I know for me, as my daughter entered toddlerhood, well, even prior to that, but I became rigidly fascinated by those milestone charts to the point that I would freak out and go to Dr. Google when something wasn't lining up exactly as it should. And I've had other friends come to me about the exact same concerns. And, you know, we start to feel inadequate when we think our child isn't measuring up on a a certain skill at a prescribed date or when they aren't as advanced in certain areas as other kids. And even as they get older, it can be a little bit of comparing grades or what sports they're involved in, even college admissions. So how does a parent learn to let go and embrace the individual development of their child without feeling the need
5: to compare their progress to others? Well, I just I want to speak to that one, having two that just sort of entered college recently. <laughs> I think that it does continue on. I think c- comparing is a normal human behavior. I think I, it actually very in many scientific ways it's helpful to us, right? We develop averages, and we're able to to see some places where people are outliers and maybe get them the assistance they need. I think when it becomes an issue, is is it freezing you in? your space where you can't make decisions correctly, or are you using those comparisons in order to drive your parenting or your feelings for the day become a real concern? And so uh, I wouldn't wanna get rid of all the charts and things that we utilize. However, I think you have to ask yourself some questions like, you know, is this gonna matter in two days? Is it gonna matter in two months? Is it gonna matter in two years? Some of the, the, the decisions I'm making, even when my kids were, right right now, I just had one graduated in June and lots of people ask, what school is she going to? What's she gonna major in? And um, it got to a point where even though she was going to college, but it I almost felt like I didn't even wanna answer those questions because sometimes it felt like a judgment about which place we were picking or which she was deciding to go to. And, and I didn't want that pressure on her as well. So I think asking yourself those questions, checking out of conversations that aren't productive and doing some evidence-based thinking about when you do make a decision, what is it based
6: on?
2: And I think to add to that, just remembering that you can hit the unfollow button, on social media, if there's an account that you just really find yourself comparing yourself or your children to more, or it's just really bringing you down or bringing you unhappiness, then it's it's not worth it. So
4: remember that you can unfollow and unsubscribe. I'm gonna go with the unfollow thing too, and that is you can you know what is it like mute family members, and so that their posts don't always show up or they're not always able to comment on your post. I know that that is a big source of tension for my family. My mother-in-law has some opinions and she likes to share those opinions and they are usually factually wrong, which is my trouble, but she, she likes to go against me and I just, she and I do not interact on social media and that is fine. And that's how it's going to work. So family members are allowed to be muted or unfollowed as well. Emily, this
0: is awesome. I love it. You took us right into our ending question. And that is, we would love for any of our experts to share any experiences that they've had throughout their parenting journey, or any experiences from their clients of being affected by the expectations of motherhood. The reason that we ask this is because sharing stories is often extremely beneficial for our listeners to hear. So they don't feel alone in their journey and they're able to recognize that even though you are all an expert, you're also a person who struggles. So if you have anything to share, Emily, that was awesome. I loved it. How many of us struggle with our (laughs) in-laws? Anyone else have something to share?
5: Well, parenting is an adventure every day, even when they get older, <laughs> it's an adventure. I have three girls. And so uh, oftentimes hair is a really interesting thing in the morning. So, you know, if somebody's got to be braided, twisted, whatever, everybody's got an opinion about what their hair should look like. But I just thought it was such a, a when, once I got it in my head that everybody didn't need to look the, leave the house, you know, certain times. One of us could leave the house looking crazy. It'll be okay. It'll be like so letting. So I just had to learn how to let some stuff go. Sometimes you just gotta let some stuff go. You don't want to wear that outfit today, okay? It's okay. We would find something else. You know, and just really relaxing some of those shoulds or this has to be this way or we must. Sometimes we we can skip something. Sometimes we can just let some stuff go and live to do it again tomorrow.
2: I definitely agree with that. I think no one's perfect. Perfectionism doesn't exist. I feel like we all strive towards something that's just not achievable. So just kind of keeping that in mind that, you know, we're all doing the best that we can and just following your own intuition. Typically, you you know your kids best. So just kind of remembering that. Yeah, I guess I'll
6: share that as a parent, particularly when we've Buying to those comparisons, we just have to really remember the impact that it has on our kids, and we have to really be cognizant of our our kids' capabilities as well as what is important to them. You know, I mentioned that I deal with individuals with ADHD and autism. One of the challenges that my parents often had, particularly in their autistic kids, folks with autism can be extremely bright. They can be twice exceptional, as we call it, but they also will do what they value, And so sometimes it was it was really hard for some of my parents to recognize that their autistic child who maybe was getting straight A's hated math and didn't see the value in math and was not going to put in the effort. And so one of my mantras was always D equals diploma. And if your kids just don't value it. Like Nicole said, is it really going to have an impact? I mean, if they have straight A's and everything else, are they they're still going to get into college if that's where they want to go or whatever the case may be? So D equals diploma. In some cases, we just have to accept that. And I know that's hard to do sometimes as a parent when we feel like our kids can really do more. What they value is also important and recognizing that.
4: I also wanted to share one more thing that I personally have been experiencing that I think that needs to be led on for a lot of people to know. So um, not in addition to being a fertility doula, I'm also going through infertility treatments. So I have my egg retrieval next month and I'm a birth doula who helps people who are pregnant all the time, give birth and I can't get pregnant myself. So one in eight couples can't get pregnant, have trouble conceiving. So it's not... You know, there are people out there who, even though, you know, we're having these conversations about how hard motherhood is, it doesn't negate the fact that becoming a mother is also hard or doesn't say, like, oh, well, if I once I have a child, I will never say that motherhood is hard or I'll say that pregnancy is the best thing ever because I wanted this so badly. And you're allowed to want something and then also be like, okay, this is really hard, though. It's really hard to throw up every day for nine months or raise a toddler or manage a toddler and owning a business, you know, whatever is happening, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. So I think that's a really important aspect to remember as well. Thank you so much, everyone. Chrissy and
0: I just want to let you know how much you are valued by Her Health Collective For your profession and what you do for your expertise, but also for you as a person, this is our final roundtable of the year and all of you have been on our panel throughout the year and it has meant so much to Chrissy and I that you participated in the panel with us this year and shared all of your feedback. So thank you for your time, all of your effort. You are treasured by us and our community of moms. Thank you so much. Another wonderful discussion from the expert panel. This is a topic I wish I had known more about prior to having children. It would have been so beneficial to know in advance what's realistic rather than pushing myself to accomplish arbitrary ideals. The positive is that adjusting expectations is an ongoing process. All is not lost because we may have been misguided until the present moment. We can make shifts and continuously check in with ourselves to make sure that our expectations are aligned with our personal needs and values. Here are three takeaways from this discussion. Number one, we began our conversation by sharing some common expectations of motherhood and the realities that are associated with them. The conversation that led into a historical perspective. It's clear from the discussion that expectations of motherhood aren't new. Even though they've shifted over the years, the overall agreement among the experts is that expectations of motherhood continue, and many are carried over generations to the present day. Breastfeeding is an example of this. The rate of breastfeeding has shifted over time due to the expectations placed on moms. In the 1800s, there were wet nurses. In the 1950s, formula was invented, and the expectation shifted to be more in favor of formula. And then this all moved to the present where women are encouraged to exclusively breastfeed. Another example discussed is the stay-at-home mom versus the working mom and how we've seen generational shifts in regard to the expectations that surround caring for our children. Regardless of the era, expectations placed on moms creates additional pressure on mothers to do things the quote-unquote right way based on arbitrary ideals focusing on the needs and values that are most important to our families, remembering that perfectionism doesn't exist and attempting to relax on some of the quote, shoulds, has to, and we musts will help realign what can realistically be achieved. Number two, the goddess myth provides the misconception to moms that we can control everything that happens when we can't. It's external, rigid, black or white rules that take all of us away from our intuition and the ability to listen to what's right for ourselves and what's right for our children. There's a perception within our society that there's a right or wrong way when everyone's different and every situation is different. If we can instead empower mothers to turn inward to themselves to figure out what's best for their current situation, this turning inward will guide us toward what fits best with each individual person's highest values. Number three, comparison and mom shaming are actions that run in tandem with motherhood expectations. Having safe and judgment-free spaces where people can talk about the struggles of motherhood and release some of the negative emotions that come with it is really important. Everything isn't going to be great all the time because motherhood is hard. Attempting to remain in a curious mindset, watching our tone, wording, and timing of what's said when having discussions with other moms will help alleviate some of the inadvertent shaming that takes place. When we start to phrase things in a way which are finite, such as, quote, you should, or shouldn't you be, those can be shaming and critical. Also, being objective on whether the statement is given with malintent. Most often, statements are not meant to be malicious. It can often be traced back to a less than ideal communication strategy, Perhaps the individual didn't completely think through how their words or facial expressions will affect another person. High five, friend. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.